0: good morning morning. my name is terrell i serve here in the global outreach committee and also with the youth and today i have the blessing of sharing god's word with you yes um and also we've been for the last couple of weeks what we've been doing is a series called fasting and feasting and in this series we've been going through the old testament feasts and showing how those things point to jesus and the implications that they have for us today to help us walk with Jesus. Today, I'll be talking about the Feast of Trumpets. But before we do any of that, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for every single person that's in here, God. We ask that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive What you have to give to us from your word today. We ask that it be planted on good ground and that it would bear the fruit of the spirit in our life and cause us to look more like Christ. We ask you all these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be talking about the feast of trumpets. Another way that it's been expressed is our gathering unto the Lord. So if you turn with me to Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. The word of God reads like this. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets a holy convocation, you shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present food offerings to the Lord. That's it. Two verses, guys. But these verses are calling us to do something. It's calling Israel to do something in that time. And it said to have a day of solemn rest, taking time to just stop Stop and take inventory of life. It says that have a memorial proclaimed by a blast of trumpets. So there were these trumpets that were blown. They were silver trumpets that went with the tabernacle and later with the temple. But these trumpets were used to bring them to remember something, to be a memorial, to remember, to gather together as a holy gathering, that holy conv- convocation. And then they would not do anything, they wouldn't work, they would just chill and worship God by offering these foods to God. So within the Bible, the Feast of Trumpets is mentioned very few times. And when it is mentioned, it doesn't even say the name. Even in this verse, it doesn't say the Feast of Trumpets. It's usually mentioned as the seventh month, the first day of that month. That's how it's referenced within the Bible. So the Jewish history Behind it gives us a little more context of like, what, what was this festival about? How have people traditionally expressed this holiday or this festival? So I'm going to break the sermon into two halves. The first one, I'm going to be talking about what did this mean to Israel back then and also people that still have that Jewish tradition and celebrate this. And then I'll cross over to what does that tell us about Christ and what does it What are the implications that it has for us today? So in Jewish history, it wasn't known as the Feast of Trumpets. It went on to be called Rosh Hashanah, or the Jewish New Year. And this takes place during the lunar month of Tishrei. And that's in September through October. So during this time, it was a time of, like we do, kind of like refocusing your mind getting your mind right, thinking about God during this time. And in the synagogue services, it took three fundamental sections. The first one was Malchiat, which means kingship. And what that did was they would take time to emphasize God's sovereignty, that God is the Lord over everything, that God is truly in control despite what it looks like. God is still running the entire earth. The second was Zikronot, and that means remembrance So they would take time to testify that God remembers his covenant and he also remembers his promises. Throughout all of the Old Testament, God made various promises to Israel. He made promises about land, promises about salvation and redemption. And then there was a third part called Shofrat. And this section is when the shofar or a ram's horn was blown and this brings to memory God's provision of the ram that Abraham sacrificed in place of his only son. And these have many correlations to Christianity. If you're familiar with the Bible, Bible it has a lot of shadows. So the Feast of Trumpets was kind of like a gateway festival into this other set of days called the Days of Awe. And during this time, it was the time between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. And this was a day of, so they would take that time in between to take time of introspection, just take inventory of their life, say, am I really following what God has for me to do? Have I gotten off track? It would be a time of repentance on the way to the day of atonement. So in a similar way, we're celebrating that right now as we go through Lent, when we have those booklets in the back that show us how to observe Lent and how we can take this time to Step away from some of the things that we use to comfort us rather than going to God to feel these hurts, these aches of living in a broken world. So we step away from those things and we say, God, you are more than enough. I push away from these things and I press into you. It was also a time of soul searching and making things right with God. It wasn't only just looking inward, but then it was making these commitments to God. Like, God, I want to walk with you. I want to rededicate. I want to walk straight. I want to be on the straight and narrow and not only turning and making things right with God, but making things right with your neighbor. Looking at like, man, how have I offended people? How have I treated people not like I treat myself? How have I done that? So as we're talking, we're talking about the Feast of Trumpets, right? And these trumpets had many occasions and purposes within scripture. And Hebrews tells us that Moses had the tabernacle, and that tabernacle pointed to a greater reality, something in heaven. It was a picture. It was a shadow, a type of something that God already had in heaven. So these festivals, these trumpets, are pointing to a greater reality. Jesus said it this way in John 5. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life. But they testify of me. They're actually pointing to me. And Jesus is saying that through the sacrifices, through these festivals, through the tabernacle and the temple, all of those things were showing something about Jesus and what he came to fulfill ultimately. So there were various different things that the trumpets uh, gave people awareness of. And these are a couple of them. The first is that it would call to an assembly, kind of like this, like how we all just came together to worship God, to have this time together, called to assembly. It also was a command for Israel to move out. When they were on the way to the promised land, they were doing a lot of traveling. So whenever they were done in a spot and that cloud, that pillar of smoke would lift up and go somewhere else, they would blow the horn and say, all right, we need to follow God. He's telling us to move out. It was also a call to war. A preparation for an announcement, getting people's attention, it was a warning of judgment to come. It was also a call for celebration and a worship. And now we're going to get into that this really is true for us today. There are still trumpets going off, and one of those things were alarm, coming judgment. The the trumpet is actually end-time prophecy. That is one of the trumpets that we have in our life today. So as we're going to talk about end-day prophecy, Christians disagree about the order of events and some of the details, but we all can agree on this one thing. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, those that believe in him are going to have a glorious day if you have faith in him. But We're talking about trumpets. We're talking about alarms. Why would we need an alarm? Why would God leave these alarms or warnings within the scriptures for us? Aren't we living in a culture that just obeys God? Doesn't everybody just know God? Doesn't everybody just follow his ways? Why would God leave an alarm to make people aware that he's coming? Because we don't live in that kind of culture. We live in a culture that has forgotten God. I am a part of that culture. I was born into that culture. I grew up in a household that God was never talked about. I never went to church. I had no idea who Jesus Christ was. Jesus Christ to me was a guy on Kanye's chain. That's it. Like, I didn't know who he was. But being in this culture, God began to let me see the things in his word, to see things in creation. I was born into a culture where I couldn't even identify my own sinfulness because I was born into that world. This is normal. This is what life is like. This is what people do. This is the regular thing. But if you were born in the 1900s like me, right, you might have seen some different. You can see a drastic change. For example, when I used to watch TV when I was younger, there were certain words you just would not hear on TV. You would never hear like certain swear words or you want to see people dressing a certain way. You want to see certain forms of intimacy on a regular TV. It's just something you just didn't see. But now it's everywhere. You see all these innuendos in children's shows. You see, it's just everywhere permeating our culture. It's changed significantly. But. This is something that God was not unaware of. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. Starting at verse 1. Let's see what God actually thinks. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, That looks very relevant to the world that we live in today. You see it on social media. You see it in your real life. I see I work for the school system. I see it there. It's like God left this in the word that we might see it and be aware that it would catch our attention and say, man, this is the age that I'm living in. Speaking of alarms, we had. A tornado alarm. Maybe what? Maybe a week ago. Anybody experienced that? Heard that? I did. I I heard it. But prior to that, I had a book fair at my at the school that I work at. They had Sonic there. My son, he loves Sonic. Like it was just like, man, this is like the greatest day ever. Went there. We got some Chick fil A on the way home. Sat, got started eating, and then all of a sudden, you hear this noise, this blaring noise. And then I'm just like, I don't know what that is. Like, what is that? <laughs> my wife, she gets a really sober face. She's like, that's a tornado alarm. And then my son, when he hears that, he's alarmed. Sonic doesn't matter no more. Chick-fil-A doesn't matter anymore. All he's thinking about, he says, I don't want to die. Like, I don't want to die. And that's the reality of the warning signs that God gives us in end time prophecy is to wake us up and shake off all the stuff that's distracting us and say God is coming. God is going to take account of our lives. But it's not only in our culture, right? It's not just our culture that's ringing off these these trumpets. It's also our world. Matthew 24 is a scripture that speaks of that. So in this scripture, the disciples, they're walking by the temple. And they're like, man, that's beautiful. Look at that. So great. And Jesus is like, hey, man, like that's going to be destroyed very soon. Now one stone is going to lay upon another. So they're perplexed by this. It's like, this is God's temple. How could you say that? So they come to him later privately. And they say, Jesus, when's that going to happen? And not only that, one's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age, the end of the world. And this is what he says in verse starting in verse four says, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famine and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. This scripture is telling us that creation is even going to start telling us, look, God is coming. Things are changing. We see we've been seeing war for the last thousands of years, but it's on a whole nother level now. Back then, we, they had arrows, they had little guns. It's a different game now. We're talking about nuclear warheads. We're talking about like truly ending world stuff. Like there are wars and rumors of wars. We literally just had an earthquake last month or this month down there in Turkey. There, there was an earthquake. But not only the earthquake, we've had an increase of hurricanes, increase of tornadoes. The summer is insanely hot, way hotter than it's ever been. The cold, it's snowing in Texas. Creation is crying out. Wake up. Trumpets blowing. Be aware. Wake up. Look. God is coming. Luke 21 adds this. Pestilence, which is sickness. Our world was literally shut down for two years because of sickness throughout the whole world. Never happened before. But now it's happening and it's saying these are things that should be making us wake up but not only these signs in the creation but also great deception and it says that this deception is going to come before the final trumpet is blown for god to collect his people from earth and his final judgment comes let's turn to verse 24 of matthew 24 It says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. I told you before it happened. I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to fall into that. We live in a world where wonders and miracles are not hard to pull off anymore. You literally can speak to your computer. There, there's a website where you can speak to a computer and say, I want a song that sounds like song with this and this key female singer and come back three, three hours later and it will be a song composed for you that sounds like a real person. This is real life. That is how far our technology has gone. For anybody that's a fan of Netflix, i seen a preview to a show recently where it was like dancing monsters pretty much. But in the show, it's a live performance with backup dancers, but the main dancer is a monster, kind of like that singing with the mask show, kind of like that. But that monster isn't even real. It's somebody in a CGI suit somewhere else dancing, and lights are projecting this image And people are clapping and cheering and being entertained by something that's not even there. It's not even there. And God says, I tell you this beforehand, that you might not be deceived. For many will rise and show signs and wonders. And it says that it's going to be so real that if it were possible, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you, you will be deceived. God is showing us this in his word as a trumpet, as an alarm, for us to be aware. He does not want us to be unaware. Second Thessalonians 2 3 through 4 speaks of an end time savior coming, but not a savior like Jesus, but a anti savior. This savior is going to come into the fallenness, the earthquake, the brokenness, and seem like the solution. But it says, before this, there will be a great falling away. Many people that said they walk with Jesus are going to stop walking with Jesus. Hence, deconstruction. We see that in our world today. People are turning left and right and saying, Jesus is not enough. I have found another hope. I have found another gospel. I have found another way. I have found another fullness. And God is saying... These are signs. Be aware of these signs. And though these signs, they should cause us not to be afraid, but they should cause us to look upward, to wake up from our slumber and wait for our Savior who has his hands at the door. Jesus is coming. And as Christians, some of us may not even see this. We may not be aware of this. One is because we have to read our word. We have to read the Bible. We have to know. He says, I don't want you to be unaware. That's why I told my disciples to write this down. Here's some other reasons that it might be hard. Over the last couple of weeks, maybe a month, I've been talking to friends. I've been going through my own experience. But it's been an intensification of spiritual attacks. Just being tired or Easily irritable, feeling depressed, feeling sad. Like I don't even got nothing to be sad about. I'm just down. I'm just sad. Increase in temptation. Things that I had complete victory over, I feel a little sway. I feel a little tug. That wasn't there before. But now I feel more like, oh, huh, I'm kind of interested in that. Why? Why is this happening? Attacks on unity. Little things that are not the main thing. It's not of main importance. The body is fighting over it. Division, fighting, slandering one another over things that are not the most important thing. They aren't core fundamentals of the faith. Separation of families and spouses. There are marriages that are friction. There is chaos going on underneath the surface. And This is causing turmoil in the home. We live in a military town. Spouses are leaving. That's hard. That can cause stress in your mind to just be somewhere else. But how do we deal with it? Those things are going to happen. We live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. These things are going to happen. But the thing is, how do we deal with it? Do we deal with it by running to entertainment? Do we numb ourselves out by Man, I'm just about to veg out on Netflix. I had a long day. My husband tripping. My wife tripping. Like, I'm just about to just watch these shows and just chill. Do we give in to alcohol or other drugs and misusing prescription drugs? Are we falling into those things? Sexual immorality. Are these the things that we're running to? Because these things are numbing you. They're numbing you to the reality that the devil wants to distract us. The devil wants to distract us by numbing us with sin so that we won't see these blatant signs happening all around us. It's like a megaphone blowing, like, look at the summers, look at the weather, look at the chaos, look at the sickness. It's crying out, pay attention. But we have these attacks that make us just stay in our own little world, stay in our own only terrors, but... There's hope, though. That's not the end. This, all of this news is not, it's not the good news. There's hope. Nehemiah 8 speaks of Ezra during the seventh month on the first day, on the Feast of Trumpets. This is what he did. The people of Israel were coming out of Babylon. They were coming back to Israel. They were rebuilding Jerusalem. And they were very much like us, born into a world that is countercultural to God's kingdom. They have forgotten God's ways. They forgot God's expectations. They didn't even understand that the way that they were living was contrary and at war with God. And this is what happened. Several people came like several leaders came and they broke down the word to the people in a way that they could understand it in their own culture in their own way and said hey this is the word of the lord because it was so foreign to them their culture and their ways were so removed from god's intentions that when they heard it they grieved and they wept because they could see like we are a wicked people we are not in God's good graces. We are rebelling against God. And it makes me think about my son's, the story that I was telling you about my son. When my son was telling me, like, I don't want to die. He's telling my wife, I don't want to die. I'm thinking, like, tell him, like, cry out to the Lord, son. Because the reality is, is I can't do anything for you. I can't stop a tornado. That's, it is what it is. It's going to come through and tear this whole place up. If God allows it to. The only hope you have is to turn to God. And that's the same reality for us. The storm is coming. The wrath is coming. God is coming. But he says that all those that trust in him, that they will be covered. They will be passed over from that wrath. This is a time of us to wake up to that reality. Take reevaluation of our lives, our priorities, our schedule. And how are we caring for others? And how are we loving God? So that's the alarm. The trumpet was also a call to war. If you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 52. The word of God says this. So it's talking about the resurrection and it says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for the perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the trumpet is actually like a trigger, like a gunshot. When you hear gunshot and track, it means go. We're about to something's about to start, something has been activated. When the trumpet goes off before Jesus comes, what that is going to do is initiate the resurrection of the dead. And these bodies that die and turn frail and get sick will be transformed into bodies like Jesus that are eternal and immortal. Jesus set this path for us. He came and he killed death. He came into this world of a virgin the seed of God lives a perfect life. And through this perfect life, he does these miracles and this ministry and these wonders. And he fulfills prophecy for those people in the old Testament. And well, in the gospels, this was like the trumpets that we see that we've just talked about says, this is the Messiah. When you see these things, that means that the Messiah has come upon you. And at the end of his ministry, He gives up his life. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He didn't need to die. He could have just went back to God. But he chose for our sake to take on the sin of the world, put it upon himself, and die the death that we deserve, that we don't have to pay that punishment. And then three days later, Jesus is raised from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He ascends to heaven, and all power and glory belongs to him. But the thing is, is that anybody that believes in him will do the same. We will imitate him. When that trumpet goes off, we will then be raised up again in a a body that does not perish. Not only that, not only will we be resurrected from the dead, And given bodies that never perish, this trumpet will also be like a kill switch. Have you ever been watching a movie about just like the government or whatever, and it's it's war and stuff, and they're like, we're going to use the bombs. We're going to let off this crazy detonation, but first we need the kill code. And they bring out this briefcase, then somebody comes and tells them the passcode, they undo the passcode, they lift it up, then they got to put another code in there, and then they got to have two people turn the key at the same time. And then they press the button and the detonator comes off and then boom, the war is over. Like this, this weapon ends it all. That was the cross. The cross was the one, it was the headshot to death. Death is gone. So when the trumpet goes off, it is the reality of that death will be tangible to us right now. We know that there's a resurrection. We know that Jesus is coming back. But death has taken many of our loved ones. But in that day, death will get that final shot. And death will find its turn to bite that bitter pill. But the thing is, is that death is going to die, but so is everybody that loves death. Everybody that's holding on to sin. The Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death. If you want to hold on to your sin, if you want to continue to rebel against God, it says that you will perish with your lover. But Jesus says, I'm the better lover. I'm the better king. I'm the better master. I have life for you. Not only in eternity, not only when the trumpet blows, but I have life for you right now. I can give you my Holy Spirit. I can make you new. I can take away that rock hard heart that doesn't care about other people, doesn't even care about your own life. And I can transform that and give you a life that loves God and one that cares about the people around you. He has the power to do that through the cross. And finally, the trumpet also was a call to assembly. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 4:16. It says, "For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive" Who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we always will be with the Lord. So the resurrection is great, but the resurrection isn't only for people that are going to be saved, God is going to resurrect everybody, and everybody will be either if you believed in Christ, you will be resurrected to eternal life. If you've rejected that precious gift, you will be resurrected to eternal death. Some would call that hell. But God is saying that if you believe in him, you're not just being resurrected to live again, but you're going to actually be with Jesus. You're going to Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have a personal relationship with God. You've seen God do things in your life. You've seen him move and speak through his word to you, speak to you in your pain giving you times of rejoicing, answer prayers, but you've never touched him. You've never seen him. You've never done any of those things, but on that day, you will. You will see your Lord. You will see the one that has walked with you through this hard, hard life, and you will finally see him face to face, and he will embrace you, and you will be with him forever. Forever. And he tells us in Titus 2, 13 and 14, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So what do we do in the waiting? While we wait for God to come. He says that we should be zealous for good works. We should be going out into our communities, being salt and light, spreading this good news that we have, loving our wife, our children, our brother, our families. We should be salt and life, zealous for these good works. We're not sitting around in a bunker waiting for it to happen. God has called us to live zealous lives of good works. First, John. Three, two through three says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Like we were just saying, and everyone who trust, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. God is calling us to be zealous for good works, but also to live a holy, pure life running from sin, running to him, filling those holes, the the brokenness with God, not running to idols, entertainment, and alcohol abuse or sexual immorality. He's calling us to come to him and be renewed in him. In closing, eternity is coming. Eternity is a person. Jesus Christ, he is the eternal one. And as we land this plane, we're going to go back to Leviticus 23. And in verse 25, it says, you shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. This is what our posture should be towards the cross. There are no works that you can bring to God. None of it is sufficient. It is the work of God that can atone for our sins. What Jesus did on the cross for us, that is what will make us right with God, not a Enough toil, enough prayer, enough evangelism, none of that. Beating yourself up and self-condemnation, is not enough. Jesus has already done it all. But we should also be willing to offer up this thanksgiving and praise to God for all that he has done. Live a life of thankfulness that we don't have to perish as the world is perishing. This world is going to end, y'all. We see it. We see the world changing. It cannot sustain forever. But God made an escape from death. Whether you die today or later, God has made an escape for death. And I'll finish with this verse. Revelation twenty-two twelve 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Jesus will take account. But if you believe in Jesus, all of your sin, all of your downfalls have been covered. You don't have to, you don't have to fill the bill so you can be like John in this very same passage. He says, come Lord Jesus, come happily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for the opportunity to share Um just ask that you work in us, that you would draw us back to yourself, that you would help us to look at the world around us and say, God, you are coming, and you are worthy of all of me. You are worthy of all of my life. It's hard because it doesn't just apply to people out there. It applies to me. So, Father, please help us all by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank um.